0: Today on the SSPX Podcast, we're sharing a sermon delivered by Father Kevin Robinson yesterday, April 12th, 2020, Easter Sunday in Pennsylvania. Thus far the words of today's Holy Gospel, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen, hallelujah. Great is this feast, great is the joy of this day, and yet we're in the midst of the saddest times in living memory, perhaps ever, The world we knew before the Lent of 2020 has gone and all of us are facing unspeakable challenges, many distresses, but here lies the remedy. Reflection on the resurrection, on the new and eternal life of our Lord, now beginning on this day, his immortal life, never more to suffer, never more to die. Nevermore under the elements of this world, but beginning his immortal and glorified life. This is the day God the Father answered his prayer on that Holy Thursday night. Not the prayer, take this chalice from me. That prayer was said with perfect resignation. And yet God the Father made him drink that chalice. And he willingly acquiesced. That the prayer just before that, Father, I have glorified thy name, glorify me with the glory I had with thee before the world existed. This is the day the eternal Father glorified the crucified Christ, rose him up, never more to die. Victory over death, (coughs) over sin, the cause of death, and the devil, the inciter to sin. This is the day of eternal victory, we share that joy with our Lord and we will share that among those we come across today, this week and beyond. The word Easter is an old English word translating the Latin Pasque or Pasqua, which translated is Passover. What is this Passover thing? You see it all around because in this part of the country the people who reject Christ cling to the law of Moses as they understand it. They're celebrating Passover. What are we celebrating? Passover. The Christian Passover. What's the difference? What's the origin? What's the meaning of it all? You go back to the second book in the Bible, Genesis, followed by Exodus. Or if you have trouble reading, look up Cecil B. DeMille's famous movie, The Ten Commandments. Four millennia ago, the Israelites had been, for hundreds of years, terribly enslaved by the Egyptians. And God heard their prayers to liberate them because they were his beloved people chosen for a special mission, to bring forth a messiah, a chosen savior into the world. He heard their prayer. He raised up Moses to confront the tyrant, tyrant of Pharaoh. And 10 times, plagues were sent upon Egypt. The 10th was the most horrific. The angel of death would destroy the firstborn in every family, man and beast. One night, the next day, they would wake up dead, dead members of every family, except for those who followed the law of God, given through Moses, to sacrifice a lamb, eat the lamb with unleavened bread, flat bread, no fermenting yeast in it, consume the lamb and the bread, communion, followed by the sacrifice, followed by the communion, Sprinkle the doorposts of their house with the blood of the lamb. And those who did this, the angel of death passed over their house, and they would be spared from the bloody slaughter that God struck upon his enemies. And then they would begin to be free to pursue the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey, where there would be peace and plenty, prosperity, happily serving God all the days of their lives. This was the historical reality that the Jews still celebrate, and God dispersed them around the world so that we would all recognise this historical reality of God's blessings to his chosen people. It was all true history of four millennia ago. And yet it was more than just history, because in all those centuries before Christ, the Israelites cried out for the true lamb, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. And that lamb was sacrificed on that first Good Friday. And that lamb has risen today. On Holy Thursday, he established the sacrificial ritual whereby the unleavened bread would become our communion we would literally eat the lamb of God, hiding himself under the appearance of unleavened bread. And those who share in that sacrifice, who put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their soul, which is what happens with baptism, what happens again with every good confession, the angel of God's avenging death will pass over that soul and he's now free to enter into the joys of eternal life. Once we go through the wanderings of the desert, of this life, crossing the final river of death, and we'll enter into the land of promise, the land of plenty, flowing with milk and honey. That's heaven. And so this is the Christian Passover. This is the fulfilment of the Old Testament types and symbols. This is what we celebrate. The Jews celebrate what was the shadow. We celebrate the substance. They celebrate the darkness of the beginning of the dawn. We celebrate the blazing glory of the light of the world. And this joy should never end for us. We still have yet to wander in the desert a little bit in this world. And we still have that final river to cross the Jordan River, of death into the Promised Land. And so we celebrate the Pasch. That explains the meaning of Corinthians about Christ. Our Pasch is sacrifice. Let us feast, not with the old leaven, not the Old Testament, nor with the ferment of malice and wickedness, but the holy ferment of true charity. So this is our great feast day. This is the day our Lord God glorified our Saviour who has conquered death, sin and Satan. And yet we still must struggle. We're still in this valley of tears. We have this hope of reaching the promised land, a realistic hope, because you cling to the faith of all times. We strive for the virtues that will transform the world. And how did this Catholic faith spread from 12 men, a few holy women, 120 at the birthday of the Church in Pentecost, to become victorious over the mighty Roman Empire? Ten waves of persecution in the three centuries of the early Church, but more than that, there were several waves of plagues and pestilence where people were dropping dead in the streets from the plague. And how did the Catholics and the early church respond to that? With great, heroic, self-sacrificing, joyful charity, looking after the dead, the dying, risking their lives, even dying themselves to help these victims of the plagues that afflicted Rome. And this... Not just their charity to the deceased to the dying, but their joy in serving that our Lord in this way, laying down their lives for their brethren. This is what brought many more converts into the Catholic Church. This is what spread the faith. This is what conquered the Roman Empire, which was so seemingly unconquerable. And so... It will always happen. It's the charity of the faithful of Christ that will conquer the world and bring people back to God. Now, you and I, all of us, are suffering from this terrible confusion of conflicting information coming out of all kinds of official sources. And some are tempted to constantly research every subplot of this drama we're living through. Let me suggest that we limit our research, do sufficient to make prudent judgments as to how we should act. Everyone here has judged that we should take whatever risk there is to be here to glorify our Lord in his holy church and to celebrate the sacred mysteries not on TV, but in real life. Someone suggested that watching mass on a screen is a little bit like reading a gourmet magazine when you're hungry. Doesn't quite do the job. But for some people it helps, for some it's all they've got. People no longer read, so they watch. And watching the Mass can be a help for some people. And many have made the decision not to come today. Faithful as they are, trusting in God as they are, they still believe that it's better not to spread what may possibly be out there. And we respect their decision. As you know, our district superior has given everyone who comes to the society masses in the USA dispensation. You don't have to be here today because of this pandemic crisis going on and the confusion going on. My suggestion is that you research sufficient to make a prudent judgment. Knowing that others, even those you love, will disagree with your decision and even may disagree vehemently. Others even in authority may disagree violently. And there are people who will suffer the consequences, there will be court cases, there are people, pastors even being put in prison in America in 2020. For celebrating services where people gather, pastors are being put in prison right now. Who would have thought this would happen in the land of the free, the home of the brave? So research sufficient to make prudent decisions, being resigned to the fact that you will not please everybody. As an example, in the seventh chapter of the book of Acts, the first martyr of our Lord, the holy deacon, St Stephen, gave this most powerful speech to the Jews who had rejected Christ, the Jewish leadership. He outlined the Jewish history, and he spoke of how they always resist the Holy Ghost, how they're stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart, how they are in grave spiritual danger, and how they crucified the Lord of glory, echoing St. Peter's first speech in Pentecost. St. Stephen's speech so inflamed and aggravated the Jewish authorities that they disregarded the Roman law, forbidding them to perform capital punishment, and they stoned him to death. Now, some would say, St Stephen was not prudent. He should have spoke more mildly, more kindly, more sweetly, pacified these Jewish leaders. He should not have incited them to violence, which he did, under God's inspiration. And so worldly prudence would have been a little more ecumenical. little more dialogue rather than just proclaiming the truth in a way that incites people to violence. And in worldly, earthly terms, it would be very imprudent what Saint Stephen did. But in supernatural terms, inspired by God, he did provoke the synagogue, the Sanhedrin, to his own execution and was immediately glorified by our risen Lord, whom he saw standing, helping him and to embrace his soul and to reward him with eternal glory. This is our faith. But this is an example. There is worldly prudence and there is supernatural prudence. And it's not always clear which is the best path to follow. Oh, Clearly, supernatural prudence is the best path, but it's not always clear what is God's holy will for us. So please be careful in dealing with others struggling through this crisis, that we not promote dissension. And yet, like St. Stephen, God may inspire us to do what is right, even though the consequence will be dissension, division, and danger. Let's be ready for anything. We need the gifts of the Holy Ghost to have that supernatural prudence, the gift of counsel, and to be peacemakers as well, peacemakers without compromising. This is a challenge. It's not easy. Archbishop Lefebvre told in our statutes that we priests and seminarians of the Society of St Pius X are not to be preoccupied with worldly news. In fact, no televisions in our houses, only a few selected newspapers. To give a summary of what we need to know it's enough so in that spirit I recommend that we don't be constantly seeking for the latest news but enough to know how you should act how you should invest your time your money your talents how you should respond to the crisis that's engulfing us and engulfing the world since my seminary days over 30 years ago We have expected this time to come upon us, and so although it came so very suddenly in the month of March, it is not unexpected. It has been well planned, and God has permitted this to befall us in our times, It's very challenging times. And so even if things should decline to the stage where we must go back underground, back into the catacombs. Let us know that God is in control. Our Lord is glorifying his church. He's sifting like wheat, as he said to Peter. Peter, Simon, Satan's desire to sift you like wheat. Actually, the English is not so clear. In the original language, Jesus says, sift you all. But you, singular, Peter, you, when you have converted, confirm thy brethren. So Peter has a special role. He sinned terribly on the night of Holy Thursday and repented. And that's why in the Gospel today, the angel tells Mary Magdalene, go and tell the apostles, and especially Peter, who is especially distressed. He has been sifted, he has fallen, but he's repented. And now, Peter, will be reinstated as the vicar of Christ, the head of the church on earth. And he has to be strengthened. And it's only the end of the first day of Easter that our Lord actually appears to Peter and the apostles. Look at how the sadness is transformed into joy. The first one to whom our Lord appeared on Easter Sunday was, of course, his Blessed Mother, not recorded in the Scriptures. And the last one on Easter Day were the Apostles. But before he even appeared to our Blessed Mother, he left permanent evidence of the truth of his Passion and Resurrection on that sacred burial cloth provided by the rich Pharisee, Saint Joseph of Arimathea. And on this burial cloth, 13 years short of 2,000 years old, the full depiction of his crucified state is there burned onto this cloth. Yesterday the Archbishop in Turin made a public display, online display of the Shroud of Turin, which is not often displayed. And the more scientists study with an open mind and a search for the truth, the more they are converted because there is no way such an image could be on that cloth without... And this is the miracle relating the shroud to the resurrection. The most valid scientific explanation for the image of the shroud is this. 34 trillion watts of light luminous energy in a split second, coming from within that sacred body, dead, flashes forth from that sacred body on this morning of the first Easter and burns the image of our crucified Lord onto the cross. With all the details, the nail wounds, the scourging, the crowning with thorns, the sacred heart pierced, And all the evidence of this Shroud of Turin especially since photography was invented and now nuclear science examining the Shroud, a nuclear burst of radioactive light coming from within the body is the best scientific explanation for how that image is there for us to admire and to strengthen our faith so that when we look at the Holy Shroud, We may say with St. Thomas, my Lord and my God, fall on your knees. He who was dead is now risen. He who is man is truly God. And so it's the same Lord and God in the sacred host. As the priest elevates that at mass, we fall on our knees and we say with St. Thomas, no longer doubting Thomas, my Lord and my God. I see a man, I believe he is God. In the Holy Eucharist I see the unleavened bread, and I believe it is the man God, our Saviour Jesus Christ. So let us on this holy Easter morning rejoice with our Blessed Lady, whose transformation from the depths of utter sadness to the heights of eternal happiness today is that transformation join with her in that faith and that hope and that love and try to encourage your neighbour your family and friends no matter how bad things get we will cling to our Lord our risen Lord and we will be saved that's what it's all about we'll reach that promised land once we cross the threshold of death nothing can hold us back if we cling to our risen Lord once crucified now risen renewing that great sacrifice in every Mass. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.